listening to you. We are so glad that you are here today. Every once in a while, I, again, I made these videos, and, and again, it said, you know, we are not saved, be silent, and then it went zing, you know. How, very good timing on that. Hey, has God been good today or what? It has been a great day. What wonderful worship. I love this. Yeah, amen. Come on. Let's do, why not? Hey, amen. Come on. The, uh, the songs were just incredible. I love this last one we did. I, I, seen it, I saw it several times back in the past, and I've decided we're going to learn to sing it here at Deville. It really is cool. It really is. So thank you for coming today. And here we are like in week number three, I think it is, of our Ouch Oi Zing series. So anyway, so I, I've been doing math recently. Like, for instance, I've been a pastor now for uh, 47, or 37 years. 37 years I've been doing this, and I got thinking, um, I've been in the administration business for 47 years. Well, yeah, that's a long time, you know. Uh, when I graduated from high school, I joined the Air Force, and they put me in the administrative career field. Great preparation for the day that I would step into a pastor's office and be a pastor. Uh, I could type, file, answer the phone, you name it, I could do it. And, uh, you know, computers have been a big part of my life. When I went to the Air Force, we had the old manual typewriter. Finally, we got really uh, big time and got the IBM Selectric. And then one day, one day, we got, an, uh, we got a word processor on base. And what that meant was you type it on the screen, you fix your errors, and then it would print it for you. We had one for the entire base, so you had to schedule time to go. Eventually, of course, we ended up with PCs and computers and all of that, and we had it on our computer. So it's just been a big deal for me. Um, there's a reason why I like computers so much is because it's been a huge part of my life. And it's really helped me um, in my administrative field. And the pastorate, I mean, doing my sermons and things like that, the computers have been huge. So all that is large. So a lot, when you get something cool like computers, someone's going to mess with it. And so we ended up with things like malware, um, viruses, and worms. And these are things that are, that are put into the machine, uh, either something we do, a certain click that we do, and it messes up the machine. It messes up the machine. Um, you're very common, probably, you're very familiar with viruses. You may have had this happen to you. Uh, pops up on your screen, and it says, this is Microsoft. You have a virus. Click here. Well, honey, if you click here, you're dead. You're de- Kiss your computer goodbye. All right? Um, or, hey, you know, you've won the lottery. You know, we want to give you a new car. Click here. And if you click there, you're down. So, so those are things that happen, and they really can mess with your computer. And then there's these things called worms, and they kind of work the same way, okay, but differently. Same idea, you know, if you want to do this, click here. Um, sometimes it's just opening a, a, an email, a suspicious email. When you open that up, you're dead. And worms are a little bit different. They're not quite as violent as viruses, Okay, um, but what they do is they usually, one of the biggest ways they get you is they get on the machine and they start replicating itself. It's, it doesn't, a virus will attach itself to a part of your computer, a piece of software on your computer, a file, and again, it, it will attack that file. But worms just simply sit there and replicate themselves over and over again. And before long, you look at your computer, you look at your hard drive, and it's full, okay? It's full. And your machine, now listen, I'm going to help you today. Your machine gets slower and slower and slower. So if you're sitting there going today, that is that is me. Well, that's worth the price of admission. You probably got a worm, okay? And they sneak in their way into our computers. Well, today we want to talk about a wormy world. And, you know, trust me, it's my first 
illustration, opening illustration was going to be a picture of them pulling a giant worm out of a guy's foot. Yeah, we decided that was probably not very cool. I asked Brent, you know, he said, yeah, I don't think they'd like that. But this is even better because, again, uh, these worms worm their way into our computers. And I want you to understand, in a wormy world, okay, in a wormy world, it really worms its way into our lives. That's what I want to talk to you about. I hope you'll stay with me through this. Very important message today uh, for our families and for ourselves. Now, Edmund Burke um, said something. That, and, and by the way, lots of people have said this, but Edmund Burke is one of those that said this. And here's what he said. All that is necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. All that is necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. We often find ourselves, probably most of us here today, would agree that the world's kind of messed up. Okay? And you might say, well, how did that happen? Well, part of the reason that happened is, is because good people stood by as evil was going on and did nothing. And did nothing. It's certainly true of generally in culture, but it's also true in the church. You know, we have stood, we have stood by for so long while culture, you know, has just gone down. And, you know, all that we did was nothing. All we did was nothing. You know, you think since 1973... Um, you know, 65, 70 million babies have been murdered in the womb. And, and it's horrible. It's horrible. But then all of a sudden we get news like the, the, the law in New York City where an abortion could be performed up until the moment the baby's born. I mean, you think it could get no worse, and then it does. And then several years ago, of course, the, the world comes along and gets their hands in God's business um, and tried to redefine what a marriage is. You know, for, you know, God said marriage is between one man and one woman. And the world comes along, culture comes along, and worms its way into God's business and tries to say that you can have two men or two women being married. Well, you, I guess they can live together, do what they want to do. But let me tell you something. I'm, I've said this before, I'm going to say it now. And I'm, my point is not to offend anybody, but I'm going to speak the truth. And that is this. Marriage belongs to God. The world can tell it, they can say what they want to, but marriage is God. They'll have to come up with a different term. That, that, I don't care what term they come up with, but marriage is a biblical term and belongs to God. And God says marriage is between one man and one woman. And again, that's just one of those things where culture has changed. Um, you know, right and wrong. Right and wrong changes daily. Daily. And parents, let me tell you a secret. You're going to have to determine what you're going to tell your kids. Because in the world's view, what is right today Two days from now, a week from today, a year from now, may be totally wrong. It's like when you walk on the sand on the beach. You know, you walk, if you ever walked on the beach before or a sandy area, you know how, how the sand shifts under your feet. It's really difficult to walk. Well, that is, that's how right and wrong is today. The world, okay, the world dictating what's right and wrong changes their mind constantly. Yeah, and again, with the sense of abortion, I think it's, it's sadly true, but I just saw in the news where... You know, if you if you kill a woman and she's carrying a child and that child is killed, too, then you're charged with two counts of murder, which you should be. But at the same time, this crazy world we live in, a woman has the right to kill a child in her womb. It doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't. And all that's necessary for evil to prevail is for good people to do nothing. So the question really the question isn't as Christians, do we have the right to speak out? You know, as Christians, now let me let me put it in a term where you're going to identify with. Someone in this room will identify with. You know, 
as a Christian, do I have the right to force my values on someone else? Well, first off, flash, newsflash, the world is forcing its values on you. Newsflash, newsflash. But the question is not, do I have the right to speak out and speak my values in the world? It's how can we not? As Christ's followers and what we believe about God and the Word of God, how can we not but speak out? So in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul gives us, and by the way, please don't forget the app is available. If you've got Version Bible app, click on the, uh, the More button, and up there you'll see events, and all the sermon materials are right there on your electronic device. We're going to have about 90% of it right here on the screen. And of course, always whip out your Bible and use the Word of God there. Always do that. So, so Paul then gives us a glimpse of the world and last days. Now, let me say this now. I know we could probably go back to Rome, Brent, and Rome was a horrible culture. And a lot of what we read in 2 Timothy, that, that while Paul was alive, what we read here, it's obvious he thought Jesus was coming soon because Rome stunk. Okay, Rome was very wormy. Okay, and then in our culture, you could go back to the 20s for about a seven or eight year period. And in and, and the roaring 20s, they call them the roaring 20s because it was a wild party. Okay, and you, all, you saw a lot of this in, in the 20s. But I want to show you how it fits in our world today. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, it's a wormy world. Here's how Paul said it. But know this, hard times will come in the last days. Hard times will come in the last days. Um, People will be lovers of self. Now just, again, whether you're real biblical or not, or whether you're here for the free lunch or something, you know, hey, come go to church with me and I'll give you a free lunch. Where you're there, just kind of listen to these words, okay, and see if you can't pick out at least parts of it, you know, that deal with our culture today. Like, for instance, lovers of self. Does this look familiar? You know, selfies, uh, it's just crazy. I'm not saying they're wrong. just saying it's crazy, you know, how, how people just constantly are taking pictures of themselves. All right? So, lovers of self, lovers of money, uh, boastful, Proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, um, without self-control, hmm. uh, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness, but denying its power. Now, again, whether you're a Bible person or not, you'd have to look at those descriptive adjectives and nouns and go, oh, yeah, that does kind of sound like American culture today. It does. But you ask yourself this question, how did we get here? How did we get here? Well, let me tell you this. In my yard, okay, in my front yard, and when you drive by next time, house with a white fence, okay, if you look next to the alley, there's about a 20-foot-tall maple tree it's about 20 feet tall and right now it's still only about this wide okay it'll get bigger but right now it's that big and so not now well actually one guy jeremy bennett um but but not now but in about 10 years okay someone's going to drive by my house and this thing is one it's like three feet from the alley and two it's about about 10 inches from my fence so in 10 years when that dude is even taller and fatter someone's going to drive by the house and go, why did he plant that tree there? And the answer is, I didn't. I didn't. 
Um, either a bird came by and went, or Bob, my neighbor, has a maple tree, and it may have done the whirly bird thing and ended up by my fence. Well, it started growing, and one day I'd, I'd cut it down, and it'd come back, it cut it down. And so finally one day, it was about this tall, just one string, I mean, just one thing, no, no branches. It's about this tall. I said, I'm going to let that sucker grow. You know, and ta-da, I now have a maple tree. I mean, it's fall, it's pretty, it's got leaves, all nine yards. And in about 10 years, it's going to be really big. And they're going to go, why did he plant that there? Okay, and the answer is, he didn't, he allowed it. And that's the way it is with worming culture. You know, people are going to say, how did we get here? And we're going to say, oh, I didn't cause it. I just didn't stop it. And all that's necessary for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. Nothing. Now, what I want to do is I want to read um, 2 Timothy 3 again, but this time from a paraphrase called the message, called the message. It's, it'll put it in even better terms for you to grab, particularly if you're the younger generation. Um, there are difficult times ahead, he writes, as the end approaches. People are going to be self-absorbed, money-hungry, self-promoting, stuck-up, profound, profane, uh, contentious of parents, crude, chorus, dog-eat-dog, unbending, slanderers, impulsively wild, savage, cynical, treacherous, ruthless, and bloated windbags. You've got to love that one. Bloated windbags. But in seven words, and this is worth writing down, in message, there are seven words that, that, that describe it all. Are you ready for it? Here they are. Addicted to lust and allergic to God. Isn't that good? Addicted to lust and allergic to God. And then he finishes and says, they'll make a show of religion, but behind the scenes they're animals. Okay? Now, again, I need to tell you something. It'd be so easy today. Oh, we older people love to blame you know, we're always pointing our finger. It's their fault and their fault and their fault. If, if those Generation Ys and Xs and Zs and, and LMPQRSTUVs, you know, that, those generations. Well, let me just tell you something. This is on us boomers. We got here because of us. You can't blame it on the greatest generation. You can't blame it on the silent generation. It's on us. It's on us who were born 1946 to 1965. That's the boomer generation. It is my generation, and most of the people sitting in this room, it's our generation. And if you think back, (laughs) if you can remember, some of y'all were on drugs, if you can remember the 60s, if you can remember any of that, it's on us. Where did the rebellion come from, the 60s? Where did the drug culture begin, big time? In the 60s. When did, when did the wildness of culture begin? When did the rebellion against the government start? 60s. 70s. When was Roe versus Wade passed? 1973. This happened. I don't, listen, get mad. I'm, I'm talking to myself. But listen, this happened on our watch. And what's happened is, as it happened on our watch, we just continue to let it go. Now, as we got a little older and we cut our hair shorter... And we got ties and suits and we got jobs. We act a little more cultured. But the bottom line is, this happened on our watch. And what's happening now is, it's just continuing. It's not the last generation. It's this generation called the boomers. It's our, it happened on our watch. So, 
We have this wormy world, and we've got to determine what we're going to do. Now, here's the deal. If you're going to live in a wormy world, you really got to be careful who you hang with. If you're going to live, young people, younger generations, this is important, but it's also important for my generation. In fact, it's important for all of us. You know, you tell your kids, you know, when they're eight years old, I'm going to go to Joe's house. If you're smart, you'll go, well, who's Joe? And what happens at Joe's house? You ought to be asking that question. When your 14-year-old says, I'm going to Susan's house, you better be finding out who Susan is and what she wants with your son. Okay? If you're 17-year-old, you know, you need to be asking some questions who they're hanging with. Okay, now Proverbs 13, 20 says this. The one who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. So in this wormy world, if you're a Christ follower in this wormy world, you've got to know who you're hanging with. Okay, now listen, listen, I like what Jesus did. You know, Jesus would talk to a prostitute. He would talk to uh, the, the worst sinner in town who happened to be a tax collector. He would hang with the poorest people in town. He would. But here's the difference, okay? And this is what you need to understand. When Paul said, stay clear of these people, how are you going to win them to Jesus if you don't know them? But here's the deal. You don't get your core values and you don't get your worldview from those people. And that's what's happening in the American church today. We hang with these people, and rather than try to win them to Jesus, they win us to the world. Rather than try to win them to Jesus, they win us to the world. Okay? And, you know, and where it says, a companion of fools will suffer harms, I never can get away from Psalm 14.1. You know, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And that's the one who says, I don't believe in God, and the one who lives like there's no God. And the companion of those kind of people are going to suffer harm. You need to, listen, you need, before you start embracing a person's core values, the worldview that they have, you need to ask some questions of yourself. One, do they believe God is real? I mean, I'm talking about being your bud. You know, there's a guy at work that's lost and I need to win to Jesus. Go, man. But if you're going to start asking hard questions like, is this right or wrong? You need to know if that person believes in God. You got to ask that person, do they believe the Bible is true? Not some mythological book that's just stood, you know, thousands of years. Do they believe the word of God is true? And listen to this. Not because I need the job. I always make that joke at funerals. You know, you ought to go to church because I need the job. That's why I always joke. Not because I need the job, but do they believe church is relevant? Do they believe church is relevant? If you're going to get core values and worldviews from people, is God real? Is the, is the Bible true? And is church still relevant? Those, by the way, I ought to say this, those should be key things in your life if you're a Christ follower. You really should, it should be an important deal to you that God is real and that the Bible's true and church is still relevant if you're a Christ follower. So you need to ask yourself before you start saying, well, what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? And should I make this decision? That say, You need to ask those questions to that person. And if they don't believe God is real, they don't believe the Bible's true. And if they don't think church is relevant, you need to go, wait a minute. Okay, you need to just pause and say, do I want that influence in my life? You know, there's a cute little saying. It says this, you can't soar like an eagle when you surround yourself with turkeys. Isn't that true? You can't soar like an eagle when you surround yourself with turkeys. It is important. Now, listen, 
as a Christ follower, it is important who your intimate friends are. It's important who your intimate friends of your teenage son and daughter are. It's important who your intimate friends of your children, your young children are. It really does matter because worms can get into our lives. And that's right where Paul goes next. We're going worm watching. Now, you heard of whale watching. Now we're going worm watching. It's a wormy world, and we need to be watching for the worms. All right, look what he says in verse number 6 of 2 Timothy 3. Uh, you know, he says, stay away from those people. For among them, and here's where the sermon comes from, from among them are those who worm their way into households and deceive gullible women. So if we're not careful, the world with their values will worm their way into our lives and worm their way into our household. And that's where the sermon title comes from. It's a wormy world. And so we've got to be careful who we allow to worm their way into our lives. Mom and daddy, you need to be asking this question. Who, who are you allowing to worm your way, their way into your life? Hey, mama. Hey, daddy. Hey, grandma. Hey, grandpa. You know, students, this is huge. This is huge. Who are you going to allow to worm their way into your lives? Children, it's important for you. Who are you going to allow to worm your way, their way into your lives? So they will worm their way in. And I really, I, I almost pushed away from this verse because I just didn't like what it said. Okay? But it says, you know, they worm their way into households and deceive gullible women overwhelmed by sins and led astray by a variety of passions. That is very powerful. Well, first off, what Paul is speaking to in this culture that he's writing to, um, women were largely pieces of property. They had no economic status. They had no social status. Because of that, they were weak-willed. That word gullible means weak-willed. They were so hungry to matter to someone. And so people, false teachers, would come into the homes, okay? Dad was away at work, and they would come in, and they would sway these gullible women, these weak-willed Women And they would persuade them, um, one, because they were overwhelmed by sins, okay, and led astray by a variety of passions, okay? In other words, they would make them feel important, and they would follow what they said, okay? Now, here's the deal. That may have been very true in Paul's day. But let me just tell you something. In the church today, there is a population, a large population of believers who are weak-willed. How do you know that? that? Dwayne, that sounds a little bit abrasive and sounds a little bit unfair. How do you know that? Because I know the pressure on my life, and I'm a preacher. I live in a pretty religious world, okay? But I know the pressure of them, the world saying, hey, don't, don't say that same-sex marriage is wrong because that's not very popular. If you want to keep your job, you got to make, you, you got to tickle ears and be popular. Don't don't be a, don't say that if you don't give to God, you're robbing God because that's not very. I know about pressure, and you know what you do too. And when we are gullible, when we are weak-willed, it doesn't matter if we are a man. It doesn't matter for a woman. It doesn't matter for a student. It doesn't matter for a child. 
The world wants to worm its way into our lives, and it wants to, the word deceive there is the word captive. It wants to captivate us. Sir, the world wants your family. It wants your children, and it wants you. Ma'am, mama, the world wants your children. They want your marriage, and they want you. And students, you know this. If you go to high school, hey, listen up. Hey, listen up. The world wants you. When you go to high school, you're sitting there. The pressure is, do your thing, do your thing, do your thing. Do our thing, do our thing, do our thing. And they want you. If you're not a Christian, that's not very cool. That's, I mean, I, you know, that's okay. Well, that's, who cares? If you're a Christ follower, you need to care. You need to care. You need to care. So, so he says, these people will come in, and they're led astray by a variety of passions. And see, I'm a, here's a news flash. The world's passions don't up, line up with the passion of God. The world's passions don't line The world's passions will pull you away from God, and pull you away from God, and pull you away from God. Don't you want this for your kid? Don't you want this for your family? You know, go ahead and work 60 hours a week because, man, you've got to drive a nice car so, so your family can ride a nice car. You, know, you want your kids to have all the different things, all the activities you can imagine, okay? And that's exactly what he says here. Overwhelmed by sins and led astray by a variety of passions, always learning, always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. That's what Paul warns us against. And that's the world culture. That's the world culture. We have got to be careful, folks. I mean, if I was going through, if I had used the other graphic and you showed a giant worm being pulled out of a guy's foot, you know, and you knew you got it from going barefooted in Harrisburg, you'd go buy your kid 20 pairs of shoes. Well, this worm is more dangerous. It's the worm of worldliness. It's the worm that will pull you away from your God and his love. Lose your salvation? Nope. Lose your joy? Yeah. 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 So Rick Warren, now you know Rick Warren, he's a pastor. He wrote Purpose Driven Church and Purpose Driven uh, Life. He said, one reason you may not know what God wants you to do in life is because you may not, you may be too assimilated with this culture. Often this happens without you realizing it, but you can't think, the, think like the world and think like God thinks. You have to make a choice. He says the one reason why you may not know what God wants to do in your life is you're so assimilated to this culture, to this world, you can't think about the other world. Now, we're going to use an illustration today that needs about a little bit of a pause. I know many of you don't even know what... If I said the word Star Trek, you'd go, Star what? Okay, I understand. One, it's getting to be a very old, old series and films that came out. Every once in a while, they'll produce another one. But in the, in the Star Trek movies, there was one of the bad guys was called the Borg. And if you remember that, and the Borg's deal was they would go around the galaxy to different, now keep in mind this is science fiction, to different cultures that they would run into, and they would absorb that culture into their collective. Okay? And their closing words of their little, of their spill was, resistance is futile. Now, this is a 17-second clip. And um, Kayla, if you can play it twice, I want you to play it twice. I want, forget, forget Star Trek, forget the board. Listen to the lines in this little film 
and listen to it, thinking about how the world wants you. Go ahead. We are the Borg. Lower your shields and surrender your ships. We will add your biological and technological distinctiveness to our own. Your culture will adapt to serve as us. Resistance is futile. I played again. I know it's hard to understand. We are the Borg. Lower your shields and surrender your ships. We will add your biological and technological distinctiveness to our own. Your culture will adapt to serve as us. Resistance is futile. We're going to take your biological, who you are biologically, and integrate you. Your culture will be a part of ours. Resistance is futile. And that's the message of the world. And that is the danger of the world. The world wants you to become a part of their culture. They want to pull you away. And again, once again, if this was the 50s, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Because your neighbor may not like God too much, but he kind of lived like, you know, Judeo-Christian values. That's how they lived. Those days are gone. And it's going to be more and more difficult to be a believer in Jesus Christ in America. In America. Now, Timothy continued, Paul continues talking with Timothy to 2 Timothy 3, 8, 9. Listen to this. Just as Janaz and Jambres resisted Moses, so these also resist the truth. Now, you might say, well, who are Janaz and Jambres? Who are they? Okay. When Moses was down in Egypt, going to set the people free thing. Y'all remember that? Okay. There were two magicians, and they were named Janaz and Jambres. Okay, and here's what's amazing. They could duplicate what God did. So Aaron throws his staff down, boosh, and they get their staff and throw it down. His became a snake. Theirs became a snake. Um, They turned, Moses turned water into blood. They turned around, took a pitcher of water and turned it from water to blood. Moses caused a plague of frogs to come upon the land. And they caused a plague of frogs to come upon the land. Whatever God did, these two could duplicate. Now, that's what I want you to understand about the world. The world, I think being a Christian is one of the most joyful things there is. I mean, again, if this turned out to be a lie, if I die tomorrow and this all turned out to be a lie, the 45 years I've been as a Christian was not a waste. If this is all false, I've lived the best life possible. But here's what the world does. The world says, oh, you want to be happy? We'll give you happiness. Oh, you want fulfillment? We'll give you fulfillment. Oh, you want to be joyful? Oh, well, we'll sing joy to the world. Whatever God has, they are a cheap imitation and trick. But here's what I want you to understand. I love this because it says, but verse number 9, but they will not make further progress for their foolishness will be clear to all as was the foolishness of Janaz and Jambres. And you know what happened? Of all things, Moses called for a plague of lice. They tried and guess what? Didn't happen. Didn't happen. You hang with God and if you'll hang with God, you're going to find out God was right. And by the way, when you hang with God, a lot less regrets. A lot less regrets. So that gets us down. And and I've got a slide we probably should throw it up there. You know, wrong is wrong, even if everyone is doing it. And right is right, even if no one is doing it. That's what you've got to understand. Wrong is wrong, no matter if the whole world's doing it. 
and right is right if no one is doing it. So that leads us down to worm wars. Worm wars. And this is 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 12. Now, Paul says this to the young preacher boy. But you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, and love and endurance. All that sounds good. You know, Paul says, boy, Timothy, you're what a preacher boy. You followed me. But then he tells him something hard. He says, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord delivered me from them all. Paul said, you followed me in the, in the good times and my conduct and all those things. And you even followed me as I was persecuted for being a Christian. Now, look what he says. Verse 12. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Okay. You know, I, I, I won't, I'm going to shoot straight with you guys. You want to be the most popular kid at Harrisburg High School or whatever school you go to? Guess what? Be a Christian, you won't be. Hey, hey, ma'am, you, you want to be the most popular person at the club? Well, you stand for Christ, then you won't be. Hey, sir, down wherever you work in your world, you want to be the most popular guy on the golf course? Stand for Christ, and you won't be. In fact, Paul said, all, how many? Oh, yeah. All who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But listen to the old preacher boy. It will be worth it all. I'm just telling you, listen to me. Listen to me, Daddy. It will be worth it. Mama, it will be worth it. Grandma, Grandpa, it will be worth it. Kids in high school or kids in middle school, it will be worth it. Yes, you will be persecuted. And by the way, it's not going to get better. It's probably going to get worse. And as you stand for Christ. Now, they don't care if you go to church. Okay, that's not a deal. They don't care if you seem religious. But if you live for Christ, you will be persecuted. It's true now, and it's going to be true more in the future. You know, there's a, there's a slide I've got in here. I've wrestled with this slide and wrestled with this slide. You know, it was on schedule for way back in January, and I was going to use it then. Here's what it says. I'd rather be hated... For speaking God's truth than held for trying to redefine it. And the reason, the reason I don't like the wording is because it sounds cocky. It's got, we don't need to be cocky before the world. We just need to be godly. So here's what I changed it to. It's not on the slide up there. I'd rather be mocked for speaking God's truth than praised for trying to redefine it. I'd rather be mocked than speaking the truth for the Word of God than praised for redefining the Word of God. Now, I just need to tell you, Christianity and culture is running perpendicular one to another. They are not running side by side anymore. So consequently, you will be persecuted the more you try to live a godly life. You will be. And you've got to decide. Are you willing to be mocked for speaking God's truth, or do you want to be praised for redefining it to make culture happy? You will have to decide. Two more, if you give me two more. We've got nine minutes. Wormwall. Wormwall. There's an old adage that says this. The best offense is a strong defense. The best offense 
is a strong defense. It's funny, that same adage is also on the internet another way. The best defense is a strong offense. So which one's true? Both. Both. In the, in the world of sports, in the world of war, and in the world of Christianity, the best defense is a strong offense. The best offense is a strong defense. Both ways. Look what Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.13. Evil people. There are people in this world, in your culture, in your world today in Harrisburg. And I know, Terry, I know you know one who just are atheists and they hate God. They hate Christianity. They want nothing to do with it. You know somebody like that? Sure do. Tim knows them too. Okay? So there are people like that. There are evil people. But also there are imposters. And these are my friends, the, the practical atheists. They say they believe in God, but live like he doesn't exist. They say they believe in God, but then live like he doesn't exist. And Paul says evil people and impostures will become worse. So this is not going to get better left on our own. If you're waiting for America to have a great revival while we sit by and do nothing, it ain't going to happen. Let me tell you something. If you really want to see America turned around, the best thing you can do is start with your neighbor and lead them to the Lord Jesus Christ. The best thing you can do is pour Jesus Christ into life of your children so there's no doubt in their lives that they know you love Jesus and you want them to love Jesus the same way. That's what needs to happen. But to sit by and complain about politics, to sit by and let society worm its way in and pull us away from the things that we supposedly value, it ain't going to happen. We want God to do something, then we've got to stand with God. If we want God to do something, we have got to stand with God. So he says it's going to wax worse and worse. Now, listen, this is so good. Look at verse 14. But as for you, hey, Timothy, as for you. And I could look people in the room around the room here going, as for you, and as for you, and as for me, as for Judy. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. Hey, Timothy, these are hard times, Paul would say. So my advice to you is to continue in what you have learned and what you firmly believe. Continue what you've learned. And what you firmly believe. You know those who taught you. This is so cool. Listen. We haven't. Listen. In 2 Timothy 1.5. Same book. Different chapter. Listen to what Paul says. I recall. Speaking of Timothy. I recall your sincere faith. That first lived in your grandmother Lois. And in your mother, Eunice, and now I am convinced in you. Isn't that beautiful answer to this? You know those who taught you. How many of you have a godly grandmother? Somewhere back in your past, you've got a grandmother, and she taught you to love Jesus. There was no doubt in your mind that grandma loved Jesus. And then if you're blessed, because you had a grandma, you have a mom. And they love Jesus. And you know what? The chances just explode when you have a godly grandmother who truly lives it. With a godly mother who truly lives it, you end up with a guy like Timothy. And you know what's interesting about Timothy, by the way? Well, Dwayne, you don't understand. Dwayne, you don't understand my problem. Well, what's your problem? Well, you see, my family, yeah, I had a godly grandma and a grandly mama, but my daddy. 
My, my daddy didn't treat me right. My daddy left. My daddy didn't go to church. And I'm the way I am. I'm weak-willed in my faith because of my daddy. Oh, I forgot to tell you something. Timothy's daddy was Greek and as far as we know, was not a believer. Quit playing the victim card. Step up to the plate and be a man and woman of God. No matter what your mama or no matter what your daddy. If you're blessed with a godly grandma, praise the Lord. If you're blessed with a godly mama, praise God. But step up and play. He said, I, this faith lives in you. Let this faith live in you. It gets even better. Verse 15. And you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures. Guess what grandma did? Grandma passed on to Timothy... And to Lois, okay, or Eunice, the sacred scriptures. And then Mama, Eunice, passed on down to her boy. And so this, this scripture was passed. You know the strongest thing? You, you know, you'll make sure your son, sir, you'll make sure your boy knows every rule of baseball. Does he know every rule of God? Are you concerned about your son or your daughter knowing the rules of God as you are the rules of sports? Ought to be. Ought to be. Ought to be. Make sure you have a Timothy in your future. Make sure there's a Timothy in your future. Make sure there's, there's a grandmother, a grandfather, and, and, a, and a mother and a dad, and they pass that down to the boys and to the girls. You've known these scriptures from infancy, knowing you're able, they're able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Wow. Wow. It goes on. Lastly, my favorite point, I've been waiting for it. The Worminator. <laughs> yeah, you got to like that. The Worminator. This all came on Monday morning about 5 o'clock in the morning. The Worminator. What's the answer? You know, we put up the firewall. You know, the firewall is, you know, you know, be sure you know scriptures. You know, honor those, those mentors that poured into your life. Remember what they poured in and live it out. Get the scripture into your life so it can strengthen you. And the Worminator is exactly that. It's the scripture. Look what it says in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture, how much? Yeah. It's not Reader's Digest. It's not some law book. It's the word of God. It's the Word of God. All Scripture is inspired by God. It's God-breathed. It's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The way you stop the worms of the world is the Word of God. Not just hearing it, applying it. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. So it's so easy. In this crazy world of upside down values, you know, the crazy world where we don't know what life is, the crazy world they're trying to redefine marriage, crazy world is what's right tomorrow will be wrong tomorrow, and what's wrong tomorrow is going to be right. In that crazy world, there's one thing we can stand on that never changes, and it is the word of God. It's the word of God. If you want to know what marriage means, look at the book. You, know, you try and say, well, you know, Dwayne, a lot of people say pornography is really not wrong. 
Because it don't hurt anybody but me. Read the Word of God. Well, you know, Dwayne, there's a thing about gambling. Read the Word of God. Is it important I attend church? Read the Word of God. Read the book. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And this wormy world, the one way to make sure you're worm-free. Now listen, by the way, by the way, by the way, by the way, you're sitting there going, you know, if your world doesn't seem very wormy, you might go, why, why this? But if you've got a computer at home and it's running like slow, you might be going, you know, I bet I got a worm. And if your life is so chucked full, because remember what does a worm do? It replicates itself until there's no room on the hard drive. If the world is replicating itself in your world with its worms, this is how you deworm yourself. <laughs> there's not, aren't, you, aren't you glad there's not a worm pill? <laughs> That's an ugly picture. <laughs> no, it's the Word of God. And here, let me make this easy for you. If the word says do it, if the world says don't, excuse me, the Bible says don't do it. So the word says do it, you do it. If the word says don't do it, you don't do it. It's that simple. Now, if this is just some old book that we drug up out of the dust, blow that off. But if this is the word of God and we're Christ followers, we better. We better. In Ephesians chapter 6, the word says this. Take the helmet of salvation, guard your mind. Take the sword of the Spirit, defend yourself and your family, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit. Guard your mind, get your sword, defend defend yourself and your family, and talk to the Father. And that's how you get dewormed. That's how you put the wall against worms worming their way into you and your household and your families. Now, we didn't have chance. We didn't get where I wanted to go. But in Revelation chapter 2, it's just a really good scripture. And basically it says, you know, it, you know, it's the letters to the churches and the church of Ephesus in particular. And they're saying how much right they've done. But, but he says, you know, he says to the church of Ephesus, you've left your first love. You let some worms in. Worms. And you know, the way it's worded there as you deworm is remember from where you've fallen. In other words, remember what you used to do that was right. Repent. Repent and then do what you used to do. That's, that's the church of, Revela- or church of Ephesus and Revelation's deworming process. Remember what you used to do. Repent now that you don't do it. And start doing it again. That's it. And mom and daddy and grandma and grandpa and brothers and sisters and friends. If you're married, not married, you've got a big family, little family or no family. For the people of God, this is how we got to live in the world. This is how we got to live in the world. Can I share one more thing? Two minutes over. I know there are people are doing their very best to do it right. Doing their very best to do it right. And they look around and they say, I'm, we're the only one. I want to remind you of one thing. 
there was a prophet named Elijah. And he was so discouraged, he went to the wilderness, and God shows up and says, what are you doing here? He goes, well, haven't you heard? I'm the only one. And they're trying to kill me. You know what God said in the end of that little conversation? Oh, by the way, Elijah, there are 5,000 more who have not bowed their knee. There are 5,000 more who have not caved. So God bless you for trying to do it right, but don't you think you're by yourself? Because you're not. You got, you got some brothers and sisters walking with you, and you got God Almighty. Amen. God bless you guys today. I love you. I want it so badly to share this truth. And if it didn't come out right, come see me. Come see me. If you say, Dwayne, I didn't understand what you said about this or that. Because, man, I'm telling you what. I told Judy, I've been doing this for 30, I told you, 37 years, I've been standing before people sharing the word of God. Now, if there's a public school teacher who serves 35 years, and they go, you taught for 35, you, you taught in public school? Well, isn't that just, I can't believe you taught 35 years. Well, I'm not tooting my horn. I'm just telling you, in 37 years, I got a little bit of experience to share. And I want to share it with you. I want you to help avoid some of the stupid things I did in my life. As a daddy, I want to help you, daddy. I want to help you not to do some of the dumb things I did. And I could tell you story after story after story of families who, who caved and gave. I don't want you to be one of them. I love you too much. This old wormy world, and it's going to get worse. But you know, First John 4, 4, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. This victory is ours. The world ain't got nothing they can throw at us that will overcome the power of God. But you've got to choose. You've got to choose. All right, let's pray. Well, God, I sure thank you for the privilege of sharing this today. Lord, I, hate, I hope it came out half right. I'm going to trust you with that, though. Holy Spirit, I've seen you do amazing things. You've taken something I've said and made it come out a different way to help somebody. So I'm going to help trust the same thing. Father, I love my church family. It is a privilege for me to be their senior pastor. It's the privilege of mine to stand week in and week out and share the truth of the Word of God. Thank you for that privilege. Now, Father, I want to pray for my church family. I want to pray for everyone, the very oldest to the youngest. I pray, Father, we will understand the seriousness of the culture that we live in. Father, I pray that we will guard our minds. We will pick up our sword and defend our families and ourselves. And we'll constantly call on you in prayer, asking for your help when we need it. Father, I pray that we will understand we are not by ourselves. That across this nation and around this world, you are doing amazing and mighty things. You aren't even, you can't even spell defeated. You can't spell loser. Because you are almighty God. Thank you for that truth. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.